Good morning, everyone, and a blessed and happy new year. My name is Nicole, and in a moment we'll be reading God's Word together. But first, let's come before Him in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for the joy and the privilege it is to gather as your people in your house, in your presence, in the name of your Son. We thank you that we have been called followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we enter with him into this new year, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts, that we would see the evidence of your presence with us, your power and your might surrounding us, protecting us, guiding us. And Lord, we thank you so much that we can commit this into your hands. And as we look at your word today, and as James opens it up to us, soften our hearts, open our eyes. May we see you afresh and new in this new year. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today's reading for the kids of your activity sheets, a hint, it's from the Old Testament. And we're in the book of 2 Kings. And for the grown-ups, the hint is, I rather hope that James follows me onto the stage running in slow motion. <laughs> we'll see why. So in 2 Kings chapter 6, um, only a few verses, verses 15 to 18. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope that your new year has started well. It feels like it started very quickly. I'm not sure if it's because New Year's Eve fell on a Sunday or whatever, but it feels like we're, we're into the new year already. But maybe you're still on break and enjoying that. I hope that you're getting a restful time. Uh, kids, I'm very excited to have you guys in with us this morning. And I did pick this story in particular because I think it's a super fun one, but it's not always one that gets included in the kids' Bible stories. <laughs> Um, and they've got the editors out there. There's lots of great Bible stories, uh, but this one doesn't often make the cut for your kids' Bible. So I thought, you might not have heard this one before, and it's a super fun one. So we're going to work through this together. I'm going to tell you this story. I'm going to tell it mainly, you know, with the kids in mind. Grown-ups, feel free to listen on. Uh, and then we'll think a little bit about what it means for us as followers of Jesus today. So this story, guys, is about... Oh, that's the wrong title there. Godly Girls was last week. Apologies for that. Uh, the title for this week is Elisha and the Chariots of Fire. That's a much more exciting title, right? Now, a little reminder about who Elisha is. He's one of the prophets in the Old Testament, okay? He's the prophet who had the widow 
with all the jars of oil and told them to keep filling them up until they were all full. That one normally makes the kids' Bible stories. Uh, Elisha is the prophet who rose the Shunammite woman's son from the dead. That super weird story that also doesn't normally make the kids' Bible stories where like the prophet lays down face on the boy and breathes into him. It's weird. Anyway, uh, but the one that does always make the kids' Bible stories is Elisha is the guy who healed the general Naaman of leprosy when he told him to go and wash in the river. So when we're talking about Elisha, that's the guy that we are talking about. Now, we worked through the book of Isaiah last year as a church family, and we looked at this timeline, and we could see how the people of God were one united kingdom, but then here around 930 BC, they split into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And we saw that our man Isaiah was prophesying down here to the southern kingdom, but our man Elisha, he was prophesying to the northern kingdom under the reigns of these kings. And today we're looking at a story that happened during the reign of King Joram. All right? Now, that's roughly where we're at in Bible timeline history. And this is a little map here. It's a little busy, I apologize, but this is the best one that sort of describes what Israel looked like in Elisha's time. So our story is mainly happening here in this northern kingdom, the green area of Israel, particularly around this little middle area here. So that's when we are, that's where we are, and we've got some who we are's, all right? So it says at the start of our passage here, now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. So we've got the king of Aram, that's that grumpy looking dude there. His name was probably Ben-Hadad II. We think that's the king at this time. And then we've got the king of Israel, sinister looking dude there, uh, and his name was Joram. Okay, so the king of Aram is at war with the king of Israel. See, this is a great story, right? We've already got a war going on. We've got kings versus kings. This is fun stuff, right? So it says... After conferring with his officers, the king of Aram said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. All right, I'm going to go here. We're going to put our army there. This is how we're going to go to war. But the man of God, Elisha, all right, he sent word to the king of Israel saying, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God, and time and again, Elisha warned the king so he was in guard in such places. This is basically what's happening, kids, okay? King of Aram, he's the guy up here in the A, all right? He'd move to a certain place, and then Elisha would be like, hey, you should check that place out, and Israel would move over to that place. And then Aram would be like, well, maybe I'll go over here. And then Elisha's like, check that place out. And so Israel went there, and then he went there, and then he went there. And you can imagine, this got pretty frustrating for the king of Aram. In fact, the Bible says the king of Aram was enraged. He was furious that all of his plans are being thwarted, are being stopped by Elisha knowing what's going on. So he summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. He thinks that one of his guys must be telling everyone what's happening. He's like, this is ridiculous. There's no way they can be right about where we're going all the time. None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Now, I'm not sure how we knew that they were speaking the words uh, of what was happening in the bedroom. And kids, uh, you might have said some secret things in your bedroom you've been worried about mum and dad hearing, but nowhere near as much as your mum and dad would be worried about you hearing about the bedroom. But don't worry about that. 
Uh, I worked on that joke all week to figure out what I could get away with. You, give, me, give me feedback later um, on what you thought about it, whether I, I get it. Yeah. Anyway, the king of Aram is very nervous about hearing what's happening in his bedroom, so he says, go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so that I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Now, Dothan is a city right here in the middle of Israel. It's a little hard to read, so I sort of put the big one up there. But it's just this little town here, all right? This is where the man of God is. So, the king of Aram sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Okay, so Elisha is there in the city of Dothan with his servant, and the king of Aram has sent all of these soldiers to go and surround that city. We're going to deal with this problem. This guy has been listening in on our conversations. We are going to put a stop to this. Then it says, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And it says that the servant said, Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? You can imagine, it'd be pretty freaky. Like you get up, you go to brush your teeth, you're sort of stumbling out of bed, you look outside and all of a sudden horses and chariots everywhere surrounding you. You'd think there'd be good reason to be afraid at this moment. But Elisha says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us and more than those who are with them. Now you can imagine the servant. He's looking at Elisha. He's looking at himself. He's looking out there at all the dudes. He looks at Elisha. He looks at himself. He looks at all the dudes. He's like, I think the prophet might have lost it at this point. I'm not sure what's going on, but I'm starting to worry about where he's hearing voices from. But Elisha prays, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. So the man of God sees something that his servant doesn't. As he looks at this situation, scary as the evidence before him might be that they should be in fear, he sees something different. And it says, Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I told you it was a good one. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be very, very encouraging for me to know in that situation when I thought that all was done for, that all of a sudden we've got all these horses and chariots of fire on our side. And you can imagine as Elisha's servant was looking out at all of these fiery beasts that he imagined, oh man, this Aramean army is going to get it now. These guys are going down. But it's not exactly what happens here. It's clear that the enemies of the people of God are in real trouble. They have no idea. They can't see what's surrounding them. And we know at different times that the enemies of the people, the people of God have been truly destroyed and wiped out when they've come against them. But here, the prophet Elisha asks for something different in their total annihilation. It says, As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha 
had asked. Now again, you might think at this point, oh, this is cool. This is the precursor to how God is going to wipe out the enemies of God's people. He's going to blind them, and then he's going to send in like an angel of death, and he's just going to just rip these guys to shreds. And we know that again, sometimes that we see God's judgment poured out in that way upon people who come against God's people. But that's not what happens here. Instead, Elisha says to the Arameans, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. So he's got this army that's completely blind, and he says, follow me. I imagine they all had to join hands or hold one big long rope or something like that. It's kind of a crazy thing to imagine, this prophet leading all of these blind guys and their horses on this great big walk, because basically we're going from here in Dothan down to Samaria here. So Samaria, some of you might know later on it becomes a nation, but right now it's just a city. It doesn't look like very far on this map, but trust me, that's a big walk to be blinded for. That's a long time of stumbling in the dark, being led by a voice who you don't even know who they are. Now that the tables have turned, it's now a scary situation for the Arameans who are in the dark. And it says that after they entered the city, Elisha said once more, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. Now let's just be really clear so we understand what's happened, okay? Just a little bit earlier, these guys were the ones surrounding the city, surrounding their enemy, but now they've been blinded and they've been led into a city and now they are the ones in the middle surrounded by the Israelite army. They're in the capital city. And their eyes are opened and all of a sudden they now perceive the danger that they are in. And indeed, it is a precarious situation because this sinister looking dude, king of Israel, not as bad as his dad Ahab, but still not a pleasant guy to be around. He says, it says there, when the king of Israel, Joram, saw this, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? I don't know about you, he seems a little eager. All right, just take it easy, Joram. All right, the double request, can I kill him? Can I, can I, huh, please? But you might be expecting again, oh, okay, this is what the Lord has done. He's blinded the Arameans, okay, in their arrogance. They've been humbled. Now he's brought them before the king, and we're going to wipe them out this way in the capital city of Israel to show them again who's in charge. But again, Elisha says, do you not kill them? Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. I mean, it's a weird move, right? Like from a military strategic point of view. Okay, so they had you on the ropes. It seemed like you were completely surrounded. There's a supernatural intervention. They've been blinded by God. You've led them all the way down to your capital city. You've now got them surrounded completely. They're completely at your mercy and you give them mercy in the form of a meal, a feast. And what's even crazier is that sinister looking dude says, well, if that's what the man of God wants. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. And then enigmatically, right at the end, it says, so the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. 
the invasions stop, not because the army has been wiped out, but because they have been seen, what? They've seen the power and mercy of God. Now, that, that last little bit there, that, that's the part that helps us to, to point forward to what this can possibly mean for us today. Because when we read the Old Testament, now that Jesus has come and died upon the cross, it, it helps us to understand as we look back to all these Old Testament stories that all of them have these hints that point forward to what Jesus himself was going to do. This was one of the things that Jesus wanted his own followers to understand in his time. He was really clear to say to them that all of the scriptures of the Old Testament point towards me. So after he died and he rose from the dead, he sat down with a couple of his disciples and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And here, in the story of Elisha and the Arameans, we get a sense of how this story points towards Jesus. Because again, we've got a situation where we've got these people coming against Elisha. They're enemies of the people of God. And it becomes really clear that these enemies of the people of God, while they seem to be a great force, while they seem to have all this power, it's clear through God striking them with blindness that God is the one who is really the powerful one in this story. And we see in Elisha's heart to not annihilate them, but rather to bring them to a place where they could see God's power, that God's heart for those who comes against him is not to destroy them and annihilate them, but rather to reveal to them the true nature of his power. That when their eyes are opened, when they see the reality of the situation that they find themselves in, that before this God that they have come against, they are actually completely at his mercy and could be destroyed by him, they meet the true character of God in that he is merciful towards them, pointing us towards the mercy that Jesus himself would show to his enemies. Funnily enough, not too far away from this very place in the, the, the land of Samaria in Jesus' time, there's a story that goes like this. The people in Samaria did not welcome Jesus because he was heading for Jerusalem. At this point in time, Samaria and Jerusalem had become enemies from one another. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Sounds a little bit like our boy Joram, right? These, these enemies, God, they, they, these people that haven't respected you, Jesus, shall we kill them? Rough moment for James and John. <laughs> but Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Now, here's the thing. Did Jesus rebuke them because their, their instinct was wrong here? Not quite. See, people not welcoming Jesus, people not believing and receiving in Jesus elsewhere, Jesus goes really hard against some of these guys. Particularly the Pharisees and the, and the religious experts of Jerusalem that were meant to know God. When they rejected him, when they did not believe him, when they did not welcome him, he was very firm with them. He called them the, father, the, the children of their father, Satan. Like, rejecting Jesus, not welcoming Jesus, is a big deal. So Jesus here in rebuking them is not saying to them, no, 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 don't worry about it, it's not a big deal. He's not saying their rejection of me isn't a thing. 
Rather, the heart of Jesus towards those who don't welcome him to those who come against him is not to reject them, but to save them. See, Jesus' mission was to bring judgment eventually, but first he was going to reveal to them who he was, his power, and the mercy that he wants to have. That through his death, he's going to deal with sin. He's going to show his power by raising himself up from the dead. It's going to be clear for all to see who the real power is. But upon his triumph, what he's going to show to people is that he wants to be reconciled with them. So it says there in Romans 5, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only in this but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. All those who believe in Jesus, just like the Arameans were welcomed to feast with God's people, to feast in the presence of the Lord's people, and to receive life, so too all who believe and trust in Jesus and in his death and resurrection are also invited now to have life. God's heart for his enemies is not to wipe them out and destroy them, but rather to save them through what Christ has done. This story of Elisha and the prophets point towards the salvation that Jesus offers us through his death and resurrection. But having understood that, we can also now read this story in light of some other things that we learn about the New Testament, and that we learn about in the New Testament, that help us to understand what our condition as Christians is now. So, God's people in this story were at war. Aaron was at war with Israel. And as it turns out, Christians today, we also are in a war of sorts. Not against human enemies, but a war all the same. For it says in Ephesians 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against human enemies, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are in a spiritual war. There is a battle that we look at. When we did our sermon series on what you guys want us to preach on, we did a whole thing on on angels and demons and spiritual warfare and all that sort of stuff, and we looked at this reality that there is a spiritual realm and there is a battle taking place, and that influences and affects the world that we live in. So we as God's people are still involved in a war, a spiritual war. And it says in the story of Elisha that the man of God said, word of the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. And we see that the enemy of God's people, all of their plans have been laid before God's prophet. And it says in the New Testament that we are not unaware of the schemes of the devil against us now. As it says in 2 Corinthians, what I have forgiven if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us. But we are not unaware of his schemes. See, once again, we're in, a, we're in a battle, a spiritual warfare, and once again, we're not unaware of what the devil's schemes are. We get lots of hints of this in the New Testament. One of the biggest ones being who the devil is, what his plans are. Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What does the devil want to do in this spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in? He wants to lie to you. He wants to tell you that your sins mean that you are condemned and you are separated from God, even if you're believing and trusting in Jesus. He wants to deceive you. He wants to make you believe things about this world that simply aren't true. 
We looked at the names given to the devil back then in that sermon. We talked about how he's the light bringer. He likes to appear as an angel of light while being a being of darkness. He's the adversary, the one who resists God's plans. He's the Lord of the flies. He's the Lord of death. And he is the liar. He is the one who engages in slander. We're not unaware of the devil's schemes. We're in a spiritual battle, and he wants to deceive us and trick us and make us believe false things. And here's the thing. There are times when we've been surrounded by his lies so much that we might have great sympathy for the servant who says, Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? When we, li- when we look with our natural eyes, when we look at the world around us and we see the obstacles that have been set up against us, a world that doesn't believe, people that want to persecute Christians, we see our own struggle with sin and we think, I don't know if I'm ever going to get victory over this stuff. We look at the mistakes that we make. We look at the harsh words that we've spoken. We look at the sins that we've committed. We look at the wrong attitudes in our heart. And if we see all of those things, it can seem like that no matter what the promises of God are, it can seem that we're just surrounded by all these forces marked against us in the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in. And when we find ourselves starting to think that way, when we start to feel as though it's all too much, when we start to feel as though our faith is being crushed, when, we, when, when fear and worry and anxiety are starting to come upon us, we need to listen again to the words of Elisha who said, don't be afraid, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And we need to have that moment when we look to the hills and we realize the truth of the situation that we find ourselves in. Because the word of the New Testament to all of us in this spiritual battle is this. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is with us is the one who is greater than the one who is with them. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. No matter how it may feel at times in fear, in anxiety, in depression, in whatever situation you find yourselves in, in this spiritual battle, the truth that you have to hold on to, the looking to the hills moment that you need to have is, is that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is around us. And we need to open up our eyes just like the servant did and see the truth of the situation again and again and again. We hold on to the promises of God and we realize that at any one time, no matter what it might look like to us, the promises of God are true. Just one of the best ones to turn to. I keep using the same one because I want you guys to, to, to lay hold of this for yourselves. But when you feel as though the devil's been lying to you and you've been separated from God and you're condemned and you feel as though you're a bad Christian and, and, or you feel you're, you're worried about your future, you're worried about your kids, you're worried about your friends, whatever fear is besetting you, We confess God's words to that. Who then is the one who condemns? Satan is the answer. But who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're like the servant in the story. 
Sometimes we need to have our eyes opened again to the truth of God and the reality of the situation that we find ourselves in. Last night, I was, I was trying to get to sleep, and I started thinking about all the things uh, that were to come this year. I've got some, some stuff, like some, some personal goals and all that sort of thing, but they're by no means guaranteed. There's things that I'd like to get done this year. There's things I'd like to achieve. I don't even want to sort of say them publicly because if I fail, it just makes it worse. You guys will know about it. But I, but I started to get, you know, anxious. Like I felt it in, in, in my heart that and, and my, my body started to react. You know, and I couldn't, I couldn't get to, to sleep easily because that, that, that just that fear of, of what might happen started to come upon me. And, I, and I sort of, once I realized what was happening, I had to come again and say, you know what, Lord, whatever may happen with this thing, good or ill, whether I fail or, or, or succeed, I know that you're with me. I know that whatever may come, whether, it, whether it's what I want or whether it's, you know, you have a different plan for me, I know that all your promises are still good and true. That whatever my personal fortunes are, I know that what you do promise me is that you are with me no matter what. And I got up and I prayed that prayer, took some deep breaths, and then calmed myself so I could just to, re- to rest well again. Now that time it was reasonably easy, a few minutes. It's the start of the year. In December it might be a bit harder. But this is the thing. This is what it means for us to, to have our eyes opened, to seemingly be surrounded by all these forces against us, but to lay hold of God's truth and to see things clearly. And if we do that, then we'll be in a position like Elisha to not only be saved ourselves, but also to extend salvation to others. Because we'll know the good news so much more. We'll understand what it means to be at peace with God, to be reconciled with Him. And we'll seek to preach that same good news to others also, so they too can be made aware of the danger of their situation, but also the mercy of God who wants to rescue them. Let's pray together now. <clears throat> Father God, thank you so much for your mercy. Thank you for the mercy that you've shown us through Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us. Thank you that while we are sinners before you, while we've all been your enemies at one point or another, your heart was not to annihilate us, but rather to rescue us and to redeem us, to save us. We pray, Father, for any here who, like the Arameans, may not realize the danger of their situation. If you're here visiting with us and you've not yet realized what it is to, be, to stand before a holy God and to realize his power and that we deserve to be judged by him, we pray, Father, you'd give this gift of truth to us and that we might realize just how much we need to be saved and delivered from that situation. And we thank you that in Christ, that's exactly what you do for us. And we pray, Father, that anyone here who's not yet believing and trusting you for that salvation would come to believe. But we pray, Father, also for, for those of us who do believe, but from time to time, see things only in the natural realm. We see only the opposition. We feel only the fear. We, we feel only the anxiety. We feel only the depression. And instead of seeing with eyes of faith, we see with our natural eyes. We pray, Father, that you would, in those times, open our eyes by the truth of your word again. That we proclaim the truth of your word given to us in the scriptures that all those who believe and trust in you have been saved from their sins, that we are safe with you, and that no matter what happens in this world, we have eternal life to look forward to. 
And we pray that in being set free from our fear, that we might be able to extend grace and mercy to others also, so that more and more might come to know your goodness and kindness to us. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name.